Welcome to the message podcast for Church of the Nazarene. We invite you to subscribe for updates and new episodes. You can also search for our podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, and TuneIn. Make sure you join us each Sunday at 9 a.m. on Facebook Live. Our in-person service times are 9 and 10.30 a.m. We have a campus near Harrisonburg at 1871 Boyers Road and a new campus in East Rockingham at 414 Southeast Side Highway in Elkton. In addition, at our Harrisonburg campus, we have a Spanish campus that meets on Sundays at 11.45 a.m. Check out our website, cotnaz.org, for more information. Have you ever, I mean, we're all getting familiar with those phone calls that we get on our phones, right, that call and offer you car insurance or car warranty? And I'm like, please, I got a 99 Civic, please fix it. But have you gotten the ones where they call you asking about a free vacation or telling you that you want a cruise? I got one of those here the other week, and normally, you know, we like do the immediate click because it's an automated voice, right? Like it's Siri's sister, and she's calling, like, nah, we ain't got time for that. Well, I actually got a vacation phone call the other week that was from a real person. Moment of confession, I got excited, because if you've called to mess with me about a free vacation, that's turnabout for me to mess with you. Pray for me. I'm working on it, all right? So I I get the response, right? Help from a real person. I'm excited. Hello, I'm calling today to inform you that you've won a free all-expenses-paid vacation cruise to the Caribbean. Out missing a beat, right? I go, yes, that's awesome. That is so cool. Thank you. Click. And I went, hello? Hello? I was crushed. She hung up on me. There my vacation dreams just cruised away when she failed to follow through. Now, I doubt very seriously, and you would too, that I was ever going to receive a free vacation cruise because I hadn't stayed in the hotel she said I had. But don't we understand that we value follow-through, that we value in other people in our relationships that when you say you're going to do something, that we do it. We all know that person in our life that we can count on no matter what to follow through. Pastor Terry uh, moment of confession, man, she is rock solid on follow through. What she says she's going to do in a Monday afternoon meeting, she's going to do. And so we count on one another. Now, I wish I could say that I was that solid in our interactions, but pray for Pastor Terry. She works with me. But we all recognize the importance of follow through. And within that, we can also recognize some of those folks in our lives that maybe aren't so solid on follow through. That, And they say they're going to do something. We better call the next day and just make sure. Now, I'm sure that their intentions are good, and they mean well, and whether it's busyness or distractions or just plain forgetfulness, there's sometimes follow-through is not quite as certain. And so as we see the different uh, relational aspects there, how, how do you think your relationship is different with the person that's rock solid versus the one you got to call and check up on or that you're never quite so sure they're going to follow through? Just think about how you relate to those relationships differently. As much as we recognize that in our own relationships, isn't it fair to think that God would desire rock-solid follow-through on the behalf of his followers? Those that profess the name Jesus would be following through in actions and loving, compassionate deeds in their faith. As we have been journeying through the second chapter of James together, he is saying repeatedly that our faith must have follow-through. For James, when we say we love Jesus, we must show that we love Jesus. Our faith in Christ must follow through in Christ-like actions in our everyday, ordinary lives. 
And with that, I welcome you back to our extended teaching series through the book of James. Today is actually marking what I believe is the 10th session in our verse-by-verse study. Now, I'm sure some of you are thinking that it's been way more than 10, uh, but it has taken us that long to get through at this very intentional, very uh, deliberate study of this letter. We're going to take one more Sunday and dive into James before we pause for Advent. Now, I know all you Christmas tree in November folks, you can rejoice, and you've been rejoicing. Advent is right around the corner. And so we're going to stop for our Advent series called Newborn King. And we're going to journey for several weeks through the Christmas season. And we're going to pick back up in James after the first of the year and run. Hopefully, we'll get it complete by the time Easter rolls around. That's right. I said Easter in November. But back in chapter 2 of James, he's been carrying on this one main idea, this one central thrust that he began in chapter 1. And that is that Jesus' believers, those who profess Christ, must be doers of the word. We're not just to hear, we're not just to know all the right things, but we're to allow it to penetrate and to show forth in our everyday lives. James says that our faith in Christ must show up in every single aspect, especially our actions. It's kind of an all-in kind of deal. You can't profess Christ and not change the way you live, not have that heart flow through your actions. And he gave us some very specific handles in chapter 2. He pointed specifically to how we speak. Those that profess Jesus are to speak graciously and kindly and and, and, in an uplifting and positive way. We're to guard our tongues or to keep a tight rein on our tongues as he used that bit and bridle imagery from riding a horse. And he also said that our care for those who are poor or oppressed should directly reflect our love and devotion of Jesus. We should care compassionately for those who are oppressed and impoverished beside us and along in our communities. And he also said that, that our code of conduct, our code of ethics and morality must reflect our faith and devotion to Jesus, not to be corrupted by the culture or corrupted by the cultural moment that we were in. And in the beginning of chapter 2, as we were there, James says that we're to not judge others by what we see, by maybe how they're dressed or how they look, that we're to have God's perspective on every relationship, every person that we encounter at the grocery store or at school. We're to see them through the eyes of Christ Jesus. How he loves them is how we are to love them and reach out to them. And in just this past week, when we studied chapter 2, verses 14 through 23, James really comes home. He, he just keeps circling back in his very to-the-point and very pronounced fashion. And he's driving home this point that if our faith does not have visible follow-through, if it doesn't come through in compassionate deeds and actions, if our speech is not changed, if our care for the poor is not what it should be, our faith is as good as dead. And that's a strong word today, friends. That's a strong word. Faith and works for James are so inseparable, they're so a part of one another that our belief and our relationship with Jesus doesn't change the rest of our life, how we talk, how we interact. It's not genuine faith. Even though we may have said we believe in Jesus, we have not followed through with allowing Jesus to flow through us to be Lord of our lives, to be Lord of our finances and our families and every relationship. And James goes on, not wanting us to miss it or be confused. He gives us two examples of what this life of faith and deeds together is to look like. 
And James first points out Father Abraham, which is kind of the quintessential role model of the faith for the original audience that James was writing to. And he points to him, and people that James was writing to would have immediately understood and to been replaying Abraham's story of faith, how even from when he was first called, his, his faith took action in leaving his homeland, and just one step after another, his life was marked by his faith. Abraham's faith was authentic and true, and therefore he was called a friend of God. And as we move into our teaching text today, James makes kind of an interesting move in his argument here. He brings in a completely different example of faith and works brought together. He moves from the father of the faith to tell the story of a Gentile prostitute named Rahab, who had great faith that was proven by her actions. So let's once again slow down, and I want to work verse by verse through verses 24 through 26 as we round out chapter 2 today. And as we study this text, I want you and I encourage you to ask yourself, why did he give us this example? What is James trying to get us to see in setting up Abraham and Rahab? Would you pray with me as we dive into our text today? Father, as we come before your word, we, we want to humble ourselves, Lord, that we would hear from heaven, Lord, that we would open our hearts and that, Lord, you would speak. Father, that we would hear, Lord, if our faith is dead, will you show us? Don't let us hide behind the things we might be thinking we're getting right. Lord, help us to hear your Holy Spirit's call as we dive into your word today. And it's in your name we pray. Amen and amen. So if you would begin with me in James chapter 2, begin in verse 24. He says, you see that a person is considered righteous by what they do and not by faith alone. In the same way, was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction? As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. So there, in one sweeping move, James has moved from the father of the faith to a Gentile prostitute. And in that showing of two different stories, he's making it clear that regardless of where our faith journey began, regardless of what our past is, that our faith will manifest itself through genuine actions. So let's circle back and begin at verse 24 and dive in a little bit deeper into the first level of this text. So verse 24, he says, You see that a person is considered righteous by what they do and not by faith alone. So what James is doing here, he, he's pausing in his dialogue and he's looking back at the story he just told of Father Abraham. He, he wants us to consider why we're looking to Abraham's faith, why he's the example of faith and works. He doesn't want us to miss the importance of what Abraham's faith did and, and how it caused him to leave his home and to step after step, even in the culmination of the moment we read about last week where God called him to take Isaac up to the mountain. That faith was proving itself in action. And that's the essence of what James is trying to convey to his readers, that that's to be the evidence of our faith, that it's in action in every decision, every move that we make. That's what he's trying to get us to see here. But within this passage, I want to pause for just a moment and acknowledge what could be an elephant in the room. Because we can read verse 24, and I have a very legitimate question. And that question may be something like this rolling around in your mind. Doesn't this verse directly go against the Apostle Paul and what he taught? 
And at first glance, we might think that's true because we know the Apostle Paul is the salvation by faith alone guy, right? We read in Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9. He says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God. And in verse 9, he says, Not by works, so that no one can boast. Now, if we stopped right there, we could look at this and go, What are these two guys doing? Like, wouldn't we find ourselves in the middle of a maybe first century theological fistfight or something? But let's go one more verse in Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, he says, For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. And so what we see here is that Paul is making an emphasis on how he's coming at this text is that throughout his letters he is emphasizing that it is only by grace through faith in Christ Jesus that we're saved, that we're justified, that we're declared not guilty before a holy God. Paul's talking about that specific declaration, that specific justification that happens by faith alone, not by works. We can't earn that declaration. It must come from our faith in Jesus. And to that point, James would say, preach on, brother Paul. James has no quarry with that theology. But from James' perspective, he's saying, look, that faith we placed in Jesus for our salvation, it's so life-changing, it's so categorically different from our world that our lives must be different. It can't go on the way that it used to. It has to change. And to that, Paul would say, preach on, James. (laughs) Good morning. Hello, darling. So, These guys are not in confrontation with one another. They're simply addressing two different people groups that are struggling with two different things. The people in Paul's audience were trying to earn their salvation. They were trying to earn their not guilty. And he says, no, 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 you can't do that. It's only in Jesus. And the people in James's letters had kind of said, yeah, Jesus, and took a reclining in the lazy boy. So it was two different problems and two different groups of people. But for James and Paul, they're saying that our faith in Christ Jesus will be shown through our actions, through actions like Abraham and Rahab, and through your actions today too. Let's pick back up in our text today in verse 25. He says, In the same way was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction. Now, what James has done here, and it's a little harder to see, but in the original language, when he says this, in the same way, what he's done there is he's constructed that to say that Rahab and Abraham's faith are on the same level. This is Rahab's story is not just a tagline on his point. No, he's saying, look, the faith that they had, the faith of the father of the faith and the faith of a Gentile prostitute, they were the same. It was on the same level. And we'll see that Rahab's faith is not a side note in the history of, of the Israelite people. You will, in fact, read of her story in Jesus' genealogy in Matthew. It's pretty incredible, the redemption that took place that began in her faith. And you find the story of Rahab in chapter 2 of Joshua, and I'm, I'm going to read it just briefly. I apologize. I don't have it on the slides today. But in Joshua 2, beginning in verse 1, I'm going to read through 7 just to give you a snippet of the story. It says, Then Joshua, son of Nun, secretly sent two spies from Shittim to go look over the land. 
And so what's happening here is the people of Israel are camped out on the other side of the Jordan. They've spent 40 years in the wilderness. Moses has passed on. Joshua's the man now, and he's getting ready to lead them into the promised land. And this is the beginning of that movement into the promised land. It says, so they went and entered the house of a prostitute named Rahab and stayed there. The king of Jericho was told, look, some of the Israelites have come here tonight to spy out the land. So the king of Jericho sent this message to Rahab, bring out the men who have come to you and entered your house because they have come to spy out our whole land. So these spies, they didn't make it very far till they were found out. Like they're on America's most wanted already as they entered into the city. And they've gone to Rahab's house and she decides to hide them. And verse 4 says, but the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. She said, yes, the men came to me, but I did not know where they had come from. At dusk, when it was time to close the city gate, they left. I don't know which way they went. So she's creating a diversion for them so that they can be safe. She tells the men in pursuit, she says, go after them quickly. You may catch up with them. In verse 6 of chapter 2 of Joshua, she said, but she had taken them up on the roof and hidden them under the stalks of flax she had laid out on the roof. So the men set out in pursuit of the spies on the road that leads to the fords of the Jordan. And as soon as the pursuers had gone out, the gate was shut. So in this very moment here, Rahab has cast her lot with the people of Israel. In those moments, she said, I would rather be considered a traitor by my own people than to continue in their ways. The faith that she had in the stories of hearing of what God had done in the lives and in making a way, the Red Sea crossing and all the victorious battles fought by God. She says, I went on that side. I believe in the God of the Israelites. I'm going to cast my lots with them. And in these moments, that's what she does by hiding these spies and seeing through to their mission. She didn't just profess that she wanted to believe in the God of the Israelites. She put it into action. And in doing so, she put it all on the line. Because if they would have found out, she would have been killed under the charge of treason. She would have been a traitor. She would have been executed. But in those moments, she put her faith in gear and in action and moved. And we'll read in chapter 6, verse 25, how it turns out. She said, But Joshua spared Rahab the prostitute with her family and all who belonged to her because she had hidden the men Joshua had sent as spies to Jericho, and she lives among the Israelites to this day. You see, Rahab's faith followed through in actions, and it was celebrated and revered throughout the generations of the story of God's people. And so back in our James text, what he's done is he has brought together the Abraham, the father of the faith, and perhaps one of the most dramatic converts in a clutch moment in God's story in bringing in Rahab. And he has shown us that regardless of our past, regardless of how we got started in this journey of faith, that by God's grace, his living faith will flow through us, and that is a universal call to God's followers. So this is not just for those who have it all together. It's not just for those who will get there one day. The call for living faith is for right now because the reality that James has been driving home on and on through this passage is that faith is either living or dying. It's following through in actions or it's falling face down dead. The call to living faith is universal. As we come to conclude chapter 2 today, James, in his typical fashion, circles all the way back 
to the beginning, picks up his main emphasis, the faith without works is dead. We see in chapter 2, verse 26, he says, as the body without the spirit is dead. So he, he's given us another imagery. This is that taxidermy thing we talked about, right? Where dead faith, it, it might look the part, that deer on the wall looks like the day that you took it in hunting season, but yet it's not alive. It doesn't have the spirit. It doesn't have the essence of life within it. It's a stuffed deer head or a, a fish replica. And that's the image that James is giving us here is that faith that as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. That's the core of his passage, and it's arguably the underlying theme of his entire letter, that faith without works is dead. So as we finish up our text today, we've seen that it doesn't matter what the precursor to our faith story is like. Our faith is called to follow through in action. Our lives should reflect Jesus as our priority. This is going to show up in, yes, those extraordinary ways, in those Father Abraham moments, in those Rahab moments, yes. But just as importantly, it's going to show up in the everyday, ordinary deeds of our lives, our conversations, our interactions with those at the restaurant or at the grocery store or at school. Because we can't be so focused on the extraordinary that we miss the ordinary. The ordinary call of God to show his grace and his mercy to the world. Our future today, friends, will depend on our continual response to God's grace. And his leading us onward. The call today that we face is universal. To respond to the great grace and the mercy that we've been given this comes so close and we've talked in the past about how James and Jesus their teaching is so intertwined and today the idea in our passage that faith without works is dead that the call is universal brings us so close to the parable of the talents in Matthew 25 and just in brief summary, what Jesus is doing there in Matthew 25, he's trying to tell stories about what the kingdom of God is like, about what God's future is going to be like. And so in Matthew 25, and you can read that, I encourage you to read that this week, it's verses 14 through 30. But Jesus essentially tells the story of a master who is going away on a long journey, and he calls his servants together, he calls three servants before him, and he entrusts these servants with a lot of money, and it's called the parable of the talents, and the talents is a measure of money, and it's really a lot of money that he's giving away, so it's not just that he gave them 20 bucks, he's giving them millions of dollars to invest while he's gone. And so to the first servant, he gives five talents, and to the second servant, he gives two talents, and to the final servant, he gives one now, the first two servants, they strike out immediately. They go and invest. They're, they're about their father's business. They're, they're working, trying to gain, trying to just do what the master would have them to do. And that third servant that only received one, instead of taking the ownership, taking the responsibility of what he was to do, he, he neglects that. And he goes and gives himself to burying that treasure, burying that money, and somewhat of a fear that the master might be upset. Well, the story goes on, and the master comes back to settle up accounts. And upon the return of the master, the servants are called in. And the first two servants, they bring in the money they've gained because the one who had five now has ten, and the one that had two now has four. They've doubled it. And they're both given the same praise. They're both given a well-done, good and faithful servant. 
Because the, the master was not so considered about the quantity they had given, but that they had invested, that they had worked and given themselves to the master's business. And then finally, we see the story conclude with the last servant that has come in. And he, he brings in the one talent, and he lays it before the master and just says, I was afraid of you. I, I didn't do anything with it because you were a harsh man. And he is the one, that servant that just unearthed it and brought it back who had done nothing was declared a wicked and lazy servant and cast out of the master's presence. What Jesus was trying to do there was to get us an idea that it's not about what we've been given necessarily in quantity, but the richness of the faith that we've been given, we're to invest. We're to give our lives. We're not to put that lamp under a basket and hide it. We're to let it go forth. We're to invest in the master's interest, into his kingdom. That's what we're to give our lives to. So whether your gifting is that of, of being able to lead ministry or your gifting is of a food pantry or, or sewing or guiding fishing trips, whatever it is, God's saying, invest what you're gifted in. Give it to my kingdom. See my purposes come through your life. And that's what James is calling us to. Look, invest. Be faithful to return in good deeds what you've been given. As James so classically does to us, he poses us with a question. In light of the reality that he's been putting forth and through the teaching of Jesus, that will we be committed to putting our faith in action? Will we do it? Will I do it? Will you do it? Will we be a people found faithful, found with living faith in the everyday, ordinary aspects of our lives. I, I got a sneaking suspicion that if we can't grab a hold of this idea in the everyday and ordinary, we're not going to be ready for the extraordinary. Because God is growing us, he's strengthening us, he's equipping us every moment of every day, and that's how he's leading us and growing us along, and James is calling us to respond. So what's our call today? What's the call to action Yes, serve within the local church, please. That's a great place to engage doing good deeds. It's to help in kids' ministry or help greeting or ushering or whatever it may be. Yes, let's give good deeds to the body of believers, but let's go into the community and do the same. Let's take the gifts that we've been given and invest them into the community for God's glory. Let's trust him with the increase of the fruit. You know, as we, and you can reflect on this in your story about who, who was faithful in your story in pointing you to Jesus. You know, this is one of the most basic fundamental ways that we can show good deeds is to point other people to Jesus. One of those people sitting in the room today for my story and Miss Lynn Cook, now, now she would deny a little bit of it, and that's okay, I'll settle up with her later. But you know what? Faith and action for her was just a hugging me on Sunday mornings when I was that rebel kid sitting in the back row. Never condemning me. Never giving me a lecture. But just walking up and genuinely engaging me and asking how I was doing, what I was up to, how was work going. And you know what? It was those moments. I didn't know what she was doing. She may not have known what she was doing. But those accurate deeds of showing the love of Jesus made a difference in my story. 
It was faith and action that made a difference in my story. That's a, that's a person, that's an action that God used in his provenient grace to call me home. And I'm forever grateful. And I could tell you person after person that did that. And it makes a difference, friends. And that's the call. It's not to just go do good deeds because we can. And yes, let's do that. But because we're on a mission. Our good deeds are pointing to a greater cause than ourselves. They're pointing to Jesus. And it's hard for us to see what difference that will make in somebody's life. But will we be found faithful? As the band comes today, what can you do? What can you do today in your circle of influence tomorrow, throughout next week? What can you do? What is God calling you to step into into obedience? How will your living faith be played out in your everyday life? Maybe it's going to be a phone call and a hug to that person you know that's having a hard time. Maybe it's going to be volunteering at Hope Distributed or EAUS or whatever it is. Maybe it's going to be making a visit to the hospital or to the nursing care facility. What is before you that God is saying, will you go? Will you go? Will you make a difference? Will you invest what I've given you? Would you pray with me today? Lord Jesus, We're debtors. Lord, every one of us is a debtor. To you, Lord Jesus, most of all, to your provenient grace, but God, to those who said yes to allowing your grace to flow through them. Lord, to those hugs, to those phone calls, to those cards and and those visits, Lord, we're debtors. And so God, help us to see today, help our faith come alive to know what we can do, that we can pass that on, that we can invest what you've given us so lavishly, Lord, that we can reinvest in your kingdom. And God, we we see from the parable of the talents that you're not concerned with the total outcome, but that we're giving our all to investing in your kingdom, that we're having living faith. And so, God, today, whether our story looks more like Abraham or looks more like Rahab, God, the call is the same. We want to be faithful. Lord, if our faith is dead, will you bring the paddles of that defibrillator to our hearts and shock us alive, Lord Jesus, by your grace? Lord, give us a renewed perspective to see, to see how that you have gifted us to go that our faith would be alive. Lord Jesus, not for our glory, not so we can say, oh, look at me, but so we can say, oh, look at Jesus. Look at Jesus. Look at how much he loves you. God, will you help us today? Thank you so much for listening today. You can email us at info at cotnaz.org for any questions about our church. When you're done listening, please subscribe to this channel for the latest updates and new episodes.